Hello, and welcome to the Jill Cruz podcast. This is Jill Cruz, and today I had the pleasure of speaking with Marsha Roberts Michels. And Marsha shares her story about how suffering from abuse affected her health. And we talk about how this is something, a big message that we want to get out to the world that um, trauma and abuse actually can really have long-term damaging effects on our health. And how that manifests in each person varies, but it is a real thing. It is not something that people make up. And so Marcia shares her story and it's very inspiring because after she shares her story and the difficulties that she went through, she also shares how her resiliency helped her to come through out on the other side and support her children. And now she's a PhD candidate and you know how she's helping other victims. So it's really an amazing story that will inspire you. But I also just want to give you a heads up that we will be talking about domestic violence and how it has affected uh, Marsha and her family and, and some other stories. So I wanted to give you a heads up because these types of recounting of, of people's lives can be triggering for some people. However, Marsha also wants you to know that, you know, if you have suffered trauma, Uh, if you have PTSD, if you've been through a very difficult situation, that you can come through. And she has, and many others have as well. So this story is difficult to hear, but it's also extremely inspiring and empowering. But I do want to give that warning that, you know, there may be something that would trigger you. So if you feel comfortable, then go ahead and give a listen, but don't do anything that you don't feel comfortable with but I do think you can get a lot out of this podcast episode. Hello, Marsha. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you because I know you're, you mentioned some things that I think are really, really important for all of us to be aware of. And I wanted to start off just by asking you, uh, you mentioned, you know, that you were having some health challenges and uh, let's start off there. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's going on there? Sure. So in 2009, I left my ex-husband. We had been together for 19 years, married for 17. Mm -hmm. And we'd had five children together. And one of the events that propelled me to leave him was that he sexually assaulted me and I lost baby number six, who I was carrying. The baby died. Oh, I'm so sorry. And yeah, it was really rough. And part of that process was I had to have a DNC. They had to remove the baby. And I was far enough along that it was fairly difficult to remove the baby. You know, my body didn't register the miscarriage, that the baby had died. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was quite a lot. Um, It wasn't just your average, you know, kind of surgery. And the recovery time from it was was pretty long. And, you know, really that kind of started a series of of issues with my reproductive health. Mm -hmm. So, you know, fast forward three years, and I, having left that relationship and, you know, been out of it for some time, Mm -hmm. remarried. My new husband and I wanted to have a baby together. And, you know, I'd had five healthy, very healthy pregnancies. 
Mm -hmm. and no complications whatsoever with the pregnancies, you know, getting pregnant with labor, delivery, any of that. We were able to get pregnant about once a year, but there was damage to my uterus from removing that baby. And so I was never able to carry past a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I would lose that child. So we we lost one every year for five years. Oh. And then at that point, my doctor said she felt we should no longer try. Right. So I I kind of regret stopping. But emotionally, you know, I had gained 50 pounds, like about 10 pounds with each pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Hadn't really lost it in between. My blood pressure was high. I'd never previously been on blood pressure medicine And, you know, just the weight gain, I I felt, you know, pretty terrible about myself. And so, you know, it was a good time to stop. Mm -hmm. And we did. And we thought, oh, this is going to be a good health decision for me. And I worked really hard and I lost about 30 pounds. You know, just I used like, um, just sort of cutting back on portion size and just resuming normal activities, you know, like I love to walk and do yoga and things like that and swim. And just doing those things, I was able to lose 30 pounds. That's wonderful. It's awesome. Yeah, it took me about a year. Mm -hmm. And then I woke up one day and I was having my period and I went to use the bathroom and there was just an enormous amount of blood more than I had had with any previous pregnancy, labor and delivery, or miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And so I said to my husband, you're going to have to bring me to the hospital today, so you might want to call your boss and let him know that, you know, you're not going to be in. Like, I knew it was serious right away. Mm -hmm. And so we went to a local emergency room, and I called them on the way, and I explained to them, I said, you know, I'm a very experienced mom, and I've had a lot of miscarriages, and I know how much is too much? And this is too much. There's a lot of blood. And so something is seriously wrong. And they got me in, they stuck me in a corner room and they kind of forgot about me for a long time. And then at that point, you know, I had to use the restroom and I didn't know what to do because I couldn't really stand without having massive blood loss. And I really didn't know what to do. So my husband went to get somebody. And when the nurse came in and she pulled back, you know, the sheet that they had put over me, I thought she was going to faint. She said, oh my gosh, why didn't you tell us you were bleeding this much? And I said, I did. (sighs) So they put me in an ambulance. They rushed me to a nearby hospital because they did not have a surgeon at that small hospital available. And they recognized that I was going to need immediate surgery, an emergency DNC, possibly a hysterectomy. And so they rushed me to this neighboring hospital and I went in for the procedure And, you know, I almost passed away because I had lost so much blood. They had to give me three bags of blood. Mm. And uh, it was very dicey. And um, the surgeon there, like, I'm very thankful she saved my life. They did an emergency DNC, but they had a lot of questions about what was going on with my uterus. Mm -hmm. So remember, I never had problems with my uterus at all until I lost the baby, had this DNC. And, you know, this is always like a, a real sticky point with me because, you know, we look at DNCs and we think they're routine. We look at the procedure of evacuating a child from a woman's uterus as routine, but it's not. It definitely can cause damage. And in my case, it definitely did. Mm. 
I mean, I was never able to carry a baby again after having very healthy pregnancies and babies previously. Right. And then I had all this bleeding. So the surgeon, um, she was really not equipped to figure out what was going on with my uterus. So I had to go to a third hospital. And thankfully there, they were able to figure out that after we tried, we stopped trying for a baby, my uterus had filled up with fibroids. And they Um. had grown to the size of baseballs. And so when I had my period, my uterus could not contract down to control the bleeding because those fibroids were in the way. So initially, you know, at, at hospital number two, they were concerned I had uterine cancer. That was very scary. That was a huge scare. Right. But I did not. I just had these massive uterine fibroids. And they were able to do a procedure which is fairly new. And I really urge women who are having issues with fibroids to look into this procedure. It was called a uterine, oh gosh, now I can't think of it, embolization? a uterine embolization. Uh So what they did is they cut off the blood supply to the fibroids. Oh, wow. And they did it um, with a very non-invasive procedure. They went in through like the inside of my leg, that that vein, or it's not a vein, it's like an artery. Uh And they went in there and they put little plastic balls in the veins that went to these fibroids. And so by doing that, they cut off the blood supply. That's incredible. It was amazing. I I was so blessed with this because, you know, they were telling me, oh, you need to have a hysterectomy. And, you know, I I understand I'm I'm not going to have any more babies at this point, but I wasn't ready to let go of my uterus. I I just, you know, if I had to, I would have. If there had been cancer, I definitely would have. But I just wasn't ready to do that, you know, at that time. And And I have family members who've had hysterectomies, they've had bladder issues, you know, and just other like problems, hormonal imbalance problems and stuff like this. And so I really didn't want to go there if I didn't have to. Mm -hmm. And I was so thrilled that they told me there was this procedure. And so uh, that was three years ago and it worked very well. And I've been able to get back on track with losing more weight my periods have slowly gone back to normal, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'm also heading towards menopause at this point. So, you know, we're starting to see that sort of factor in as well. Right. But, but yeah, you know, I, I just, it, it's been like an incredible journey with my reproductive health and it's interfered with lots of other health issues, like health things, I guess, you know, like my weight, like my ability to stay fit and do activities that I wanted to. Initially, after the procedure, I was on bed rest, and then I could slowly resume light activity. But I found that, you know, I'm kind of a pusher. So if I would do something heavier, you know, like any cardiovascular workout that was, you know, a little more challenging, and I would start bleeding, even if it wasn't my period. Mm-hmm. And I think it was probably had to do with, you know, maybe my uterus was contracting and pushing on the fibroids that were there and it was causing, you know, some bleeding. So it's been like a really long three years, I guess, recovering. But, you know, I'm kind of in a good place now with everything. And um, that's it's been a major, major health challenge for me. Yeah. Wow. And that has 
this whole experience has also directed what you're doing for your work as well? Yeah, absolutely. When I left my ex-husband, we live in a really small state and victim services here were not great. And, you know, I have since talked to people in other states and, um, you know, very often police officers, when they come to your house, they'll direct you to a social worker who can help. In one one state, I talked to a police officer and he actually said that the social worker would come right to your house. Mm-hmm. Well, in the state that I live in, if you're a victim, you absolutely have to dig to find services mm. and find people to help you and your children. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Ugh. And so we were going through this and my kids were really struggling. They had just seen and heard some really awful things and it was a lot. And there was really nobody who wanted to to help. I mean, gosh, they were on, it took me forever to get them on a waiting list for counseling. And then, you know, uh, at one point, the head of the children's department at that facility just took them off the list randomly. And I have no idea why to this day, because it was court ordered for them to be, you know, on a list somewhere. Right. The judge said, you know, they absolutely need counseling when we went through the divorce and, you know, they they need to to have this. Mm-hmm. So I had to fight really, really hard. I had to call, actually call our psychology board to get them back on the list. But we did. Well, in the meantime, here I am, single mom to five kids who are going through this trauma, and I'm trying to recover from this trauma. They needed help. So I ended up going back to school. I have a bachelor's degree in elementary education, and I homeschooled my kids for 12 years. Mm-hmm. I went back to school and I got a master's in forensic psychology. Mm-hmm. And then I went on to work on a PhD for forensic psychology. And I'm almost done with my PhD at this point. It's taken me 10 years because I've only been able to take one course at a time. Right. But I'm almost done. Wow. Oh, Marsha, that's amazing. My gosh. <laughs> it's just the resilience uh, involved there, you know, coping with the trauma for yourself and your children and still going to school. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, it was for my babies, like they needed help Mm -hmm. and there wasn't help for so long. We waited, you know, for the professionals in our state to, to get on board and to give us that assistance. And so, you know, as we were going through this, I started out to, to just really to help my kids, to help my babies get through this Yeah, and uh, get that training myself if there was no one to help them. Oh my gosh. And then after, you know, I just realized the huge gaps in the state that we live live in, there were such huge gaps in victim services. So my new husband also, you know, really cares about victims. And we started a consultancy together in mm-hmm. 2013. So it's been almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we'd really try to fill in the gaps for victims. And that's and within we, your state? Yes. Uh-huh. We are starting to branch out a bit um, because during COVID, you know, of course, we were doing things online like mm-hmm. everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we just recently went to New York State to help with a case. Okay. And I suspect in the future, you know, we, we probably will do more of that. Our kids are getting older now and, you know, our older kids can, can sort of help with younger kids if we need to go away. Mm-hmm. And so looking forward, you know, I think we probably will travel more to help victims, you know, wherever the need is. Yeah. And you're talking about like helping victims find help 
in that in that way, like you you act as a consultant to help them yeah. navigate the system. It's not like you're doing the care, you're helping them find the care. Yes, that, yes. Uh-huh. And and you know, we do give advice, but we do not do therapeutic work because, uh-huh. you know, we're not licensed counselors. Right. So, you know, but but a lot of times having us be the intermediary is very valuable for victims because when you're going through that, it's hard to stand up for yourself. And we have a very adversarial system in place mm-hmm. for people going through domestic violence. They literally are coming up against this person who has harmed them or their children. And, you know, they often have already lost their voice. You know, it's very difficult for them to stand up to this person. Right. Some of these women, you know, they have been kept down by their abuser, so they don't like one lady we helped, she didn't even have her high school diploma. She didn't have her driver's license. She'd never had a job outside of the house. And when he went to jail, which was wonderful, we were grateful that that happened, that he mm. was successfully prosecuted, but they, she lost their home because she had no means to pay for it Right. without that person who had always been, you know, the money person, the main breadwinner. And these are things we don't think about when we help victims. Right. We go, oh, look, you know, we did a great thing. We got them out of this abusive situation. But then we sort of plop them in the middle of nowhere. And then we get mad when they go back with the abuser, which they do a lot. Uh But part of it is because we're not providing the resources, the education, and the support in an ongoing kind of way to empower that woman so that she can take care of herself and her children. Right. Yeah, I was really blessed because my husband and I met fairly quickly after I had left my my ex, and he was that guy who empowered me. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't just scoop me up and instantly pay for everything and step into the shoes of my ex-husband. Instead, he said to me, well, you know, you need a job. You have to be able to take care of the kids. And then he found resources, helped me find resources. And I'm just so grateful to have been blessed with someone who taught me how to do for myself in that way. Yeah. And, and, And a big part of all of this, too, is victims are not only in this type of situation where they may not have paid the bills or, you know, they've been reliant on a man for so long or for children, the parents, right? Yeah. But they're, all of the trauma that comes out from the abuse is also going to affect their ability to, yeah. let's say, have the confidence in a, in a job interview or, you know, yeah. have the confidence to say, I'm going to go back to school. Like it, if you're, if yeah. you have trauma, there's a lot of residual effects in your psychology and your neurobiology yeah. that is going to make it so that you have additional challenges. So an yeah. already difficult situation made much more difficult. And I yeah. agree with you. I think people don't realize how how damaging trauma is. And I mean, it can be lifelong if, if someone doesn't get yeah. the help they need. Yes. Yes. And a huge, I mean, therapy is a huge part of it. I mean, I spent... I don't even know how many hours in therapy with, uh, you know, uh, more than one counselor Mm -hmm. in my kids as well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm happy to say that we're in a good place now. I mean, I will always have PTSD Mm -hmm. and there will always be triggers, but I have learned some very good coping mechanisms. Right. So, you know, I would love to share a little bit about coping mechanisms, but I also want to just go back 
backtrack one little, you know, one little step, and I want to talk about this idea of women often leave these situations with health issues. Yeah. We had a client who was a wonderful lady. She was very brave. And she left this man that was physically abusive with her and her sons. She had three sons. And, you know, we did everything we could to assist her and provide, you know, help her find resources. Mm-hmm. And she did great. She found those resources. But in dealing with her abuser, and they had a lot of legal issues. This man was from another country, and it turns out he was already married when he married her. And they had been married for 15 years. So there were a lot of legal things that had to be worked out in the courts besides the domestic violence stuff. And it was incredibly taxing for this sweet lady. And eventually she developed heart problems. And her doctor really felt that the heart problems were a direct result of the stress that she was under, you know, day in and day out, trying to take care of her boys and keep them safe, but also fighting those legal battles against her abuser. So, you know, I think, again, that's something that we don't think about. But when you do leave an abusive relationship, and especially if you've been in it for a long time, there are health issues that, you know, can cause permanent damage to your body that you then have to overcome. I mean, for me, it was reproductive health. Mm -hmm. For this lady, it was heart issues. And she did eventually pass away in her early 50s from a heart attack. And it was one of our most heartbreaking cases. And yet I know that she would have told you that she still was victorious because her goal was to get all of her boys to adulthood so that they could defend themselves against their father. And she did that. I'm so proud of her. Yeah, You know, we'll always be so proud of her because she just didn't quit until she knew her boys were safe. Oh, gosh. And it's it's like somebody looking at that at her history might not even associate the the trauma, the PTSD and all the all the stress and trauma associated with dealing with the courts and everything with that heart condition. So that's incredible that that doctor even made that association. And I'm aware, I know that I've read statistics on how trauma PTSD can increase the risk, even just the without all the, the, even the extra stress of dealing with the courts and all of that, but just the actual trauma itself and the residual yeah. effects on our, on our health can increase the risk for autoimmune, for cancer, for heart disease. Yes. And people don't talk about that, how no. you know, someone could have fibromyalgia and right. it's like, well, what, what caused that? Well, it, it could very well have been trauma. And right. uh, it's almost like this thing that people think is like this woo-woo thing of like, oh no, you know that. How could that affect your body? Well, of course, the the mind, you know, the brain and the body are connected. Yes, and it totally makes yeah. sense. Or even even you know things like neck or pain. A lot of people have neck pain yep. or upper back pain, and that can be caused by trauma and just the residual yep. effects of your body trying to cope with the constant recurring stress of that trauma. So uh, this is such an important thing that I think there's a a continuum of trauma. I believe I'm not an expert in trauma, but, you know, I think all of us have suffered some trauma to some degree and that can affect our physical bodies. I I think it's a really, really, I think I said to you before we we started recording that this needs to be shouted from the rooftops because people may not be putting that two and two together. Right, right. 
Exactly. And so because we don't have a lot of time, like I I do want to talk about coping mechanisms because one of the first things I say to a new, you know, a new um, client when she will come and talk to me, and we've had a few male clients, I'm going to put that out there, but I find that the male clients we have are more successful at walking away from an abusive relationship because they're already set up. They generally are not the primary caretakers for their children. And they also, you know, often own the home. They have good jobs. And, you know, tends to be women are not as physically abusive. We did have one gentleman that we helped who was actually stabbed by his abusive girlfriend. So, I mean, they can be physically violent. But in general, men do very well uh, when they're ready to walk away and they have that confidence. You know, they already have a lot of things in place to help them do that. The women we work with don't. They really are lacking in resources. And it's it's just incredibly frustrating for us, you know, to get in a situation where we're helping a client and we know what their needs are and then we're not able to meet that. Housing in New Hampshire is a huge one. I'm sure mm-hmm. maybe it is all over. But in New Hampshire, emergency housing, we just don't have it. Mm-hmm. That's really frustrating when we have to tell somebody. There are times when we have to tell a woman, like, you know, don't leave yet because there's no place for you to go. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to find, you know, housing for her. And our shelters here on any given day are absolutely packed. And there's a waiting list, you know, for emergency housing. So, you know, those are some of the challenges that we that we look at. And so one of the things that I do is I try to really work with women on safety and emergency planning if they have to stay. And then we also work on coping mechanisms so that, you know, even though they're still in this horrible situation, they can find a way to, I guess, build that resiliency. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that carries over when we finally do get them out of the situation. They have to have coping mechanisms to deal with the residuals left Mm -hmm. from the PTSD, the anxiety, the depression, the stress. You know, I always tell people, like, when we first meet with them or first talk with them, it's one of the first things I say is, what are your coping mechanisms? And a lot of times women will say, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What do you do? to help yourself feel better. Because we know, right, the science says that stress stress levels increase its cortisol, I think, right? And again, I'm not an expert in this area. But we also know, yeah, there are good hormones too. And if we can increase those, right, serotonin is not a good one, I think it is, that if we can find ways to increase the good hormones, then that also helps our body. You know, it helps our mind, but it also helps our body. So I always ask women, what are your coping mechanisms? And I'll tell you a funny one that is mine, and you'll laugh, but I love Christmas. (laughs) And I love Christmas movies. And there's one in particular that makes me laugh. All I have to do is just start the movie, and immediately my face curves into a smile. You know, the movie is Holiday, which is on Netflix. Okay. It's kind of of a chick flicky Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. The romantic comedy. Yeah. And it helps, you know, for me, it redirects me instantly. Mm-hmm. But for other women, maybe it's things like aromatherapy. You know, there was right. a time when lighting candles helped me a lot. Yeah. Lighting a nice scented candle 
And just getting that nice aroma in the room or baking cookies and having that smell go through the house, it Mm -hmm. brought me back in my mind to, you know, my childhood, to happier times. That was really, really valuable. And then I also do a lot of other things. You know, I do yoga. Mm -hmm. I do meditation. And I'm from a very conservative Christian background. So for me, prayer is huge. Mm -hmm. I pray a lot. And I have a little box, a little tin box that I picked up. I actually think I got it at a dollar store somewhere. But it has a little notepad and a little pen on the inside of the box. And you write down your concerns. And then you leave them in the box. And so Uh it's sort of a way of physically leaving them, you know, in God's hands and stepping away so you don't have to worry about those things anymore. So these are all just examples of things that I do. I also love to be outside with horses. We have horses. And, Mm -hmm. oh, that is just, that is definitely my therapy, you know, to get outside and just brush the horses and, you know, just hang out with them and care for them. I don't even have to ride. Just being around them is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. This this is wonderful. I love I love that idea. I, I had learned about how if you something's bothering you, you write it down on a piece of paper and then you burn it. So, yep. Yep. <laughs> so I like I like it. That's another alternative is to put it in a box and let God take care of it. I, I think that's that's wonderful. And and I, I've done a bit of research around, you know, different therapies that people do for, for PTSD or, you know, even like you're saying, even just stress, you know, animal being with animals, horses, dogs cats, because they don't really require anything. I mean, you have to feed them, but, you know, um, emotionally, they're very, they're there for you. You know, you feel their presence. And I love that. And another one that I've learned about, you know, of course, yoga is great, but also uh, journaling. Yes. I think can be very, very effective. So I, I think this is, this is wonderful because these coping mechanisms apply to all of us. Yes. Because we all, everybody pretty, I imagine pretty much everybody listening to this podcast has some degree of stress. Yes. And, you know, these coping mechanisms are great because I think part of what you're saying is that even if you're in a, a very difficult situation, you can still create those coping mechanisms for yourself. Yeah. And it's like a muscle, right? Like if you, yep. if you, if you journal every day, it's going to help you when, you know, the shit hits the fan, so to speak, right? At a certain point, let's say, you know, things got really stressful or really bad. Yep. You have that that thing that you've done that or you know, aromatherapy, right? So it's yeah. not just when you're super stressed that you want to use these coping mechanisms. You want to start doing them consistently so that you yeah. they have more effect and they give you that resiliency. And so. you and you develop your go-tos, you know, like I know mm-hmm. mine is holiday, you know, so like, you know, if I have a lot of anxiety, it's downloaded on my phone, I usually just turn it on. And, you know, usually within 10 or 15 minutes, I'm, I'm sort of calm and I'm refocused and it really helps. And it's such a goofy thing, but I tell people, you know, I'm just giving you my examples, but you have to find what works for you. And it right. might be different for everybody. And I always tell people, of course, they need to be healthy coping mechanisms, uh, right. Drinking alcohol, <laughs> overeating food. You know, these are not good things for you because, you know, they can lead to addiction and you don't want to have addiction on top of all of the other stuff because right. that just makes your situation worse. And I would right, offer right. too, you know, as a parent, your kids need need this too. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that you can do it for your kids and one of the ways that we've always done it 
is by creating good memories for them. Mm. So we are very into family traditions. So here's some that we do to try to help our kids. And it's been, it's worked really well for the kids over the years. My husband and I just celebrated 10 years of marriage. Congratulations. Thank you. As I said, you know, our youngest is 17 now. Our oldest is 30. So, you know, it's been, it's been a journey. And we've had kids and, you know, lots of different age groups. And um, we do things like we have family dinner every night. And my husband loves to cook, so he does that. I'm the sous chef. So I kind of get everything prepped for him before he gets home. And then he gets home from work and he makes these wonderful family dinners for us. And we're not, you know, we're not strict about it, but we do tell the kids it's important. You know, it's important to be here for family dinner if you can. You know, if you're not working, if, you know, you're not in a class, some of our kids are in college, we want you to come home. We want you to be here and have family dinner with us. And we've been doing that with them since they were little. Mm Mm-hmm. And so family dinner is really important. And then we do other things like we do, uh, we, we do attend a church and we go every other week because for many years, my kids still had every other weekend with their abusive father. And that's a whole other conversation about the legal system and the way they handle these, mm. these things. Mm. But on the weekends that we had the kids, we did bring them to this little church And, you know, so we are involved with this little church and, you know, we brought the kids to Sunday school. Basically, we did Sunday school. We didn't do a lot with the service because that can be hard for kids to understand and sit through. But they had a wonderful Sunday school program. And so we brought the kids every other week to Sunday school and we still do things with this church. So this past weekend, my husband and I hosted a harvest party complete with costumes and apple bobbing. We did um, donut on a string, you know, that contest where you have to eat it. You can't touch it, but you have to eat the donut as fast as you can. We did, um, you know, of course, lots of yummy food and a coloring contest for smaller kids. And, you know, we just had this wonderful time with our kids in our church family. And we continue to do those things. We've been doing those things right along. We, um, during COVID, we did a lot of family hikes. Mm-hmm. We live in a wonderful area where there's lots of hiking and historical sites. And so we we would do family hikes. And, wow. you know, some of these things are free. So, it, yeah. you know, it's about making memories with your kids because when things get bad for your kids, they will go back to those memories and they'll remember that good time they had with you and with their siblings and, you know, of course, Bill has been a part of, you know, all of this now for 10 years, too. So he's, you know, he's their stepdad and they really love him and they enjoy that time with him, too. And so I really challenge moms, you know, you get really caught up in taking care of all of the the needs for everybody, you know, for your kids and your husband, or if it's just you and your kids, you know, there's a lot to do when you're a single parent. It's crazy. But, you know, be sure to make time to go to community things together or to go to the park and play together or to go for a hike together, maybe just bake cookies together. But, you know, these these things are very important for kids and it helps develop their resiliency as they're going through, you know, these difficult times too. So... That's wonderful. I love that. I, and it's it's good for you too, right? You're, as you're doing these yeah. things, you're actually taking that time to slow down, uh, which I think is part of 
a lot of the stress that people have is we put all these other priorities. Yeah. A lot of times for appearances sake, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, whereas really what we should be doing is just hanging out with our kids in the backyard or, you know, going yes. for a walk with them. And it's it's actually much more meaningful than, you know, doing a bunch of volunteer work. Not that that's not important, but, right. you know, I think sometimes it's just good to put that into perspective. Yeah. So this has been incredible, Marsha, because Thank I, you. you know, I appreciate your sharing your story and allowing us, you know, sharing that with us because that's private. But when, when you do that, it, helps other people because there may be people who, as yeah. you know, who write, who are suffering in silence. And also it's inspiring, you know, it, it's inspiring. It's, it's empowering for, for me to hear. And I think for people to hear and say, you know, we are more resilient and we're stronger than we think we are. And, and you, you are, I mean, I just, I admire, you know, how resilient you are and how you've gone through a lot, but you've come out on the other side and now you're helping people. It's just, yeah. it's incredible. So I appreciate that as well. Thank you. And I and I thank you so much for being on the podcast as well <laughs> today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to that episode with Marsha. Uh, it, it was very meaningful for me. And I, I really, really appreciated how um, Marsha has come through to the other side and she still has PTSD. She still can be triggered, but she is out there educating herself for her children, for her family and doing things to help her cope and her children cope and educating people about coping mechanisms and, and being an advocate and a consultant for victims. It's just an incredible story. Uh, so that was very meaningful for me. And uh, if you'd like to connect with Marsha, please do. Uh, you can find her on LinkedIn. Her link will be in the show notes. If you know someone that could use uh, some help in the, you know, navigating the system for, you know, getting advice and resources for victims, she's in New Hampshire, but she's mentioned that she also does work in a couple of other states. So even just connecting to see if she knows some other uh, people that could help you or if you have someone that you know. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I hope that it was inspiring for you. Please check out our website, which is winweightloss.com. That's W-Y-N weightloss.com. And W-Y-N stands for with your nature. So we encourage you to work with your nature to improve your health and lose weight uh, in a way that is sustainable and pleasurable and actually becomes a learning experience, a source of growth, and of course, feeling more energized and confident and all of that wonderful stuff. So check us out. It's winweightloss.com.